Hello, welcome to IntelliCast, Season 3, Episode 49, one of our last episodes of the season. What do you think of that, Brian? I like it. We did say if we get to 56, we're done. Uh, I don't think we're going to get to 56 without our best of episodes, but we'll be close. Hey, I'm counting those. They're already they're already done. Okay. Oh, wow. We're just hanging out there. Right. Uh, this episode... Brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. That's us. You can reach us at IntelliCast.EMI-RS.com. Follow us on Twitter, EMI underscore research, or IntelliCast1. And we would love a voicemail or a text at 513-401-5463. We appreciate the feedback or guests, if you want to be a guest on the show, topic on the show, um, anything. Just say hi. Uh, That number again, 513-401-5463. Today, Brian, we have a special guest. It's a third time appearance this season, I think, right? It is. He went from zero to three in one year. Yeah, Jeremy Zogby. He is a partner at John Zogby Strategies, and um, they're pollsters. And so he's going to come on and talk about the election and a lot of the challenges in being a pollster in the election, which I think is relevant. We don't get too political, but it's more about just – it's not easy to be a pollster, and why is that? And you know, we talk a little bit about all the challenges. I have my opinion, and you know, this. But Jeremy lives and breathes this, so I think it's a good conversation, right, Brian? Yeah, I agree. I think it went good. We talked about also some of the things that might have been a challenge, or in new items they may need to account for, like that. Do you count the Cuban American population as its own kind of sub demographic? That you need to account for now because since they're vastly different from others yeah so i think it's a good episode um jeremy's awesome um also he did a webinar using some of the data that we provided to him um monday which you could find right on the main page at johnsogbystrategies.com um talking about their predictions and a little bit about the election and that's that's a good watch as well and um, anything that we want to promote on our end, Brian, uh, we still have the white paper around strategic sample blending. Uh, we did a press release on sample chain. We did a DIY webinar that's still out there. I bet I'm missing something. No, I, you hit the highlights. Okay, cool. Well, without further ado, here is Jeremy Sogby. Joining me now, excited to have Jeremy Zogby, who is a partner at John Zogby Strategies. Hey, Jeremy, how are you? Hey, Brian, good to be back. Yeah, good. We're in the midst of the chaos. And first off, thank you for joining. It is, gosh, what day is this? This is Thursday afternoon. We're recording, um, talking about the election and intelligence here. And we're in the midst of a lot of chaos. So I'm super excited that you got to join and kind of talk about this for a little bit. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad to be here, and I'm I'm glad to not be in the belly of the beast. That's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure, right? Um, well, first off, let's start with um, you had a live webinar, um, which was also on YouTube earlier this week, which I know brought, producer Brian and I watched. Um, I thought it was awesome, especially you didn't talk about this a lot, but you and we fielded a study over the weekend. You turned around data almost instantaneously and then immediately did a webinar, which is pretty hard to do. <laughs> um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I mean, it was, uh, so we went into the field 11 a.m. on Sunday. Um, we didn't get out of the field till about 7 or 8, 8 p.m. Sunday. 
So we scrambled to put together our PowerPoint. I was up pretty late and then woke <laughs> up in the morning. First thing in the morning, reviewed it and realized we had to add a lot. And so then we got past that hurdle. So we had all the data ready to go. But then, of course, you know, when, when you do uh, something like a webinar with, where 100 people are attending, something has to go wrong. And uh, anyway, long story short, it ended up being uh, pretty seamless. Uh, we, once we, we had everything checked and, and um, tested, we had people from The Guardian. We had people from uh, uh, The Washington Examiner, CBS News, uh, embassies all over the world. So a lot of journalists, a lot of ambassadors, friends, family, and neighbors. And, and of course, you guys were present. Uh, CEO Mike Holmes yep. was present. And um, yeah, we, we, we had a good time and, and um, we, we covered a lot of ground. Yeah, I thought it was great. Um, you can still go to johnsobviestrategies.com website and watch it. I recommend it. It's kind of an interesting perspective. Um, Producer Brian, any thoughts on that as well? Yeah, it was actually pretty good. I love the question and answer. And Jeremy, so you know, I actually had someone who went through, who I email on a normal other occasion and went to and said, he's like, oh, by the way, I see you guys a lot more. I've seen your name a lot more. I've been watching the polls. So I just want to put that out there that people are seeing. I know people outside of market research were seeing this as well. That's great. I mean, I, I think, you know, everybody was watching this. I was um, in touch with people uh, over uh, overseas. One in particular was an investment group out of Switzerland. Um, I, I was actually, <laughs> I wasn't looking to move to Switzerland, but I was just curious in some investment services. And I got in touch with a uh, uh, BFI Capital, and they saw in my signature the intelligence here. And so they started reading our reports and they were saying, oh, we see that you guys are are, are saying that it's, a, it's very close and everyone else seems to be saying that, you know, it's a Biden blowout. So, yeah, I mean, it was a lot, a lot of people in various industries, a lot of industries uh, were, were watching this this election all over the world. Yeah, I was telling, I was talking to my friend, and you've probably had this before, although people know what you do. A lot of most of my friends don't really understand what I do. And so she's ranting about polling, of course, which every four years, the random people have a good rant about polling. And she's like, I think it's intentional. I'm like, no, I know these people. Polling is really, really, really hard. And so I, I sent her a friend of mine, just a friend of mine to your website, and she downloaded a lot of the reports. And she's like, this is fascinating I'm like, I know, like even the layman would really, maybe even more so the layman would under, love those reports. It's not really just for researchers at all. It's for anyone that has an interest in kind of current events and political, you know, has obviously a political slant to it, but not just politics. It has really a lot to do about everything. And I, I've told you this before. The key to this is the context that you and your father are just obsessed over this stuff and you live, eat and breathe kind of current events and so it just rolls off the tongue it's natural for you you're passionate about it and so my friend you know she downloaded it and that was pretty cool so well you know it all goes back to our love for history and and in order to understand what's going on now you have to have historical context it's not that you know people think that history repeats it doesn't necessarily repeat i think mark twain was more correct when he says it rhymes <laughs> so 
you you have parallels that you can look back and you could say, you know, for example, a lot of people were looking at uh, the this election 2020 and they were comparing it to 1865, rightfully so, but also 1876 is a, a very good comparison as well. So you can see it doesn't it doesn't things aren't predictable, but you can see parallels and you have to really dig deep and there's no science to it there. There's a lot of intuition. And so, I mean, uh, you know, it, it's more than just politics and, and history. It's economics, it's culture too. I mean, a lot of our questions are, um, you know, trying to determine where is this all going culturally? And, um, you know, if people, and I, I'm going to turn the people to the, our main street K street intelligence here, because it's just rich in information. We, we ask very different questions, not just the, you know, do you approve or disapprove of Trump? Not just the, um, would you, who would you vote for today? But really, um, uh, what, what I would call soul revealing questions to try and get to the heart of, of where this is all headed politically and culturally. Right. Well, I would recommend people go to the, the website, John, John Sogby Strategies, and if you want to watch that or download any of the reports, I think we're on, was it 11, I think, which is crazy. When we talked about this earlier this summer or late yeah. spring, we thought about, we'd do a couple and you're on 11. That's amazing. So awesome. We're on 11. That's <laughs> a lot of work. And, and you know, I, I think I think a lot of things that we've talked about have kind of panned out. So Absolutely. Yeah. Readers will determine that for themselves. Brian, you mentioned something earlier about um, the polls, and and uh, yeah, you know, you you said that it's hard work, and and you know, it's not purposeful that that people are getting it wrong. I, I'm not capturing exactly what you were, what you said, but I, I, if you don't mind, I'd I'd like to just ex- expand on it. Well, let me uh, set it up. Can I set it up real quick? Sure. So, well, one thing, yeah, there's all these pollsters out there, and for my friend and a lot of people don't understand that when you're doing a poll, your name, literally your name is attached to it. (laughs) Literally your name, your reputation, your business, your livelihood for not just you, your family. And so I will defend polls that no one is intentionally trying to bias anything in one certain direction. There might be errors and people are obviously off. We could talk about how far some of them are off. Here's a few. Quinnipiac had Biden plus 11 in the national poll. Um, the Economist partnered with YouGov. YouGov is a fantastic market research company, and they had Biden plus 10 nationally. Um, NBC News, Biden plus 10. Um, Fox News, right, that's right-leaning, had Biden plus 8. So it's not, you know, it's not this left-wing media bias. And so I think that a lot, and there were a lot that are closer, including yours were much closer, but I think there's certainly a perception that polls are biased, uh, but it's polling is very tough. And so we, we only get to do this, honestly, a national poll like this once every four years. And so that's part of the complexity. So I'd love to maybe talk about it's challenging at a national level. It's incredibly challenging at a state level. Um, and so maybe talk about that. That's a very broad question. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. 
Yeah, I mean, it is very tough because every four years so much happens. I mean, people, you know, millions of people move, right? Millions of people lose jobs, uh, uh, well, especially in these last four years. Um, so I mean, you have all these dynamics. You have you have immigration. You have people moving into the country. And so, I mean, that changes the, the not only the battleground states, but the battleground counties. Yeah. And... So in in a in a dynamic country of you know over 320 million people, and here we are doing uh, uh, surveys of of a thousand people, yeah, it's pretty hard to determine what's going to happen um, in such a, a dynamic society with the limited amount amount of information we have. So you know we get our raw data and then we apply weights, and so. Uh, you know, one of the, the biggest weights that, that you work with when, when you're uh, finalizing your, your survey or your poll, especially if you're doing um, political polls or election polls, is party. And so, well, you have to go back and, and look at the last two or three elections and see if there's a movement. And then you also look at what happened over the last four years. And so really what it comes down to is that's where you start moving on a science and you move into to the realm of art and intuition, and it, it kind of is based on a gut feeling and what your intuition tells you. And you know, obviously, there's 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 room for error. Um, like you said, we had Biden uh, up by six, but of course, with a, a, a sample of a thousand likely voters, that's a margin of error of plus or minus three point two. So we said right off the bat. Um, you know, take take away three points right there, and we know that this this clay, uh, race is too close to call. Um, so and here we are on Thursday, and we still don't know who is the president, and we're probably not going to know for for weeks, right? Um, and also, we talked about this briefly before we went on the air. They're still counting votes, and I think most of the votes, I'm I'm. Using, this is an educated guess. Most of the votes that are left to count will be mail-in ballots in a lot of states that have already called the election. And that's, honestly, it doesn't really matter, at least for the presidential election, like California and Texas. A lot of those ballots, we know who won those states, regardless of what happens with the additional ballots. But Biden is going to gain a lot more votes. So I think once we started recording today, I think Biden nationally is up about 2.5-ish. And so my you might know this better than me, but I think he's going to end up at least a, probably around a three-point national victory, uh, which will be within your margin of error. Um, so your science and uh, the art part I love because there obviously is a lot of art and polling. And you talked about it in the the um, webinar that you did on Monday about how you adjust kind of the party um, turnout based upon – like you did it based upon like energy of party, right? I think your father talked about that. Um, some other complexities, this hidden Trump effect. I'd love for you to kind of, I'd love for your thoughts on this hidden voter, Trump voter, if that exists. Obviously, changing demographics of the nation is really hard. In four years, our nation's changed a lot. And also, I think something that's really hard for pollsters to measure is this changing in election rules by state. Like so many. The, the 2020 election is so different than the 2016 election and the rules that people had to vote, which were in person and mail. You have coronavirus on top of that. You had a huge push by the Democrats to get 
early voters. And you also had Trump almost there out there saying, don't vote early. And so all of these variables are really, really hard to measure, right? That's At least that's what I'm saying. I don't know if you agree or disagree. That's fine. If you do, you know this better than I do. But that's that's the kind of conversations I'm having with my family and friends. No, I, you, you honestly, you, you put it perfectly. That's a, that's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to cover. It's a lot to know. I mean, like if you're going to be a polling firm, you better have, you better have your, your, your poly scientist, your statistician, your economist, your legal expert. I, I mean, you, you really, you need, you need a team of, um, of, of, uh, of, of, of various experts covering a, a lot of different areas. And, and so it, it's difficult, but, you know, one thing I'm going to say, and I'm going to criticize, uh, the, the other pollsters, um, and, and, uh, our, you know, if you, if you look at our series of what we did five rounds, you know, we kind of seesawed. It was like, maybe it was back in May, Biden ahead by seven, and then um, Biden ahead by three, and then this last one, Biden ahead by six. So we had all this different movement, mm-hmm. which I, th- I I think is 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 correct. I think that that captures w- what's happening uh, more accurately than say I won't say anybody's name, but consistently, um, pollster X has Biden ahead by eleven, twelve, thirteen points, right? So for months, many of the the, the major networks uh, consistently had Biden ahead by double digits, and and I thought that was ridiculous because even though you pointed out that election twenty twenty in many ways is is very different than election two thousand sixteen, which which is true. At the same time, I saw a lot of similarities, and that was in terms of the intensity. Yeah. But it was even it was even more intense this time around because it was, you know, we heard the moniker Armageddon election. This is do or die. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I, I knew that both parties were, were highly motivated uh, to, to get the vote out. Now, of course, I, I don't know that they uh, set record turnout, but but I knew that the, the consensus on both sides was the Armageddon election do or die. And so when I saw these polls that were showing like, um, you know, voter turnout models of like, you know, the, the party ID was broken down by like 40% Democrat and 25% Republican. I, I, I was like, come on, give me a break. You know, the, there's no question about it that the Democrat and the, the Republican turnout were, were going to be almost identical. And so that that gave us an edge is that we knew that, you know, we, we knew that um, there wasn't going to be like this record setting turnout for Democrats, but uh, Republicans were going to stay at home. So we had it uh, at 38 percent Dem and I believe 34 percent Republican. And I think at the, at the exit polls last I checked pretty much showed exactly that. So, yeah. Um, I'd love to go back to the shy Trump voters or the hidden Trump voters, you, I saw that the public opinion strategies did some research and they said that 19% of Trump voters said they kept their support for Trump a secret and most of their friends kept it secret from their friends. But an 8% of, of Biden voters, I didn't think there would be like secret Biden voters because he's, you know, I don't think he's certainly not as um, divisive as Trump. And if you don't like him from a from a bureaucratic or a political standpoint, but 8% of Biden voters didn't tell their family and friends. And I know producer Brian has some thoughts here. Oh yeah. So in it, 
I think when you have the hidden Biden voters, which is a weird thing to say, it's you're in that family of really vocal Trump supporters and yeah. you don't want to hear about it. That's why. Okay. Yeah, Jeremy, I'd love your thoughts on that. Well, you, you know, I mean, I, I of course, we, we've all been talking about uh, the, the, the that phenomenon, but Brian uh, Peterson, you over the summer, I think it was, or, or at some point, a couple months ago, you sent me a study. And that was the first time that I actually saw empirical evidence or data. The cloud research. On, one, yeah. Uh, studying. Yeah. And and so I, I talked about that uh, on our podcast, the podcast I do with my dad, the, the, the Zogby Report, Real and Unscripted. And that was just, so again, that was the first time that I ever saw evidence. I mean, we all talked about it like it was it was a fact. And intuitively, it it does make sense, right? Because when you talk about heated subjects <laughs> in, in, in a room full of people who are on the opposite side of whatever the matter is, I mean, it can be anything from, you know, voting Democrat or Republican all the way to talking about vaccines or whatever, whatever the issue is that's heated. You don't want to be that uh, one of the few people in the room and and be ridiculed, and and so it's sometimes it's just easier to 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 keep your mouth shut and 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 listen. Um, you know, it's it's uh, there's actually a term for it. Maybe it's not exactly what I'm capturing, but it's analogous social desirability bias. Yeah. I talked I talked about that in our last podcast. It's a podcast. It's like when a grandmother pulls out a picture and she says, oh, you know, look at my beautiful grandboy," And everyone knows that he's not beautiful. He's actually quite hideous. But you're not going to come out and say that you're going to say, oh, you know, of course, what, what, what a beautiful boy, because by coming out and, and, and contradicting the person that you're next to, you're less socially desirable. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I it, but, but it's even beyond that, especially with Trump supporters, is that there's a strain of thought among uh, or I'll say a tendency among uh, 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 Trump voters or, or Trump fans to be skeptical of, of the government. And so, you know, I mean, for a lot of them. They're nervous that they're giving over private information uh, when they do a live telephone poll. And they say, oh, I don't know who this person is. Are they putting me in a government database? Um, would that be out of the realm of, of, uh, of uh, possibility? N not, not entirely, right? So, right. Um, which is also, you know, a parlay, if you want to go down this road, into why I think online polling is... is um, has uh, uh, some uh, better features uh, than than live live telephone polling because it not only is it anonymous but it it also feels anonymous when when you're conducting the survey you're you don't have to worry about some individual who has your name and phone number right in front of them uh, setting the pace of of the survey and and kind of controlling it in in terms of uh, how long and and how quick it goes by. You, you mentioned something there that I think is another challenging thing to measure is that you've had one candidate for literally for five years screaming about fake news and screaming about fake polls for years. And so are people going to answer the phone and answer honestly when the New York Times is calling or the Washington Post is calling or Quinnipiac is calling? Um, so that's a whole another challenge that 
maybe you're right that online where we can have a little bit more anonymity, maybe we can get people to avoid the social desirability bias and be a little bit more forthcoming about it. But that, that's just a whole other challenge that you've had to overcome as a pollster. Yeah, I mean, most of our business is, is online. I mean, the only time, the only reason that, uh, the only two reasons a, a client wants to do it is because it's, it's, we're still at the point where it's considered more scientific, although I, I, I disagree with that. And then, um, actually that, no, that, I mean, that's, that's really the only reason most don't want to do it because it's so expensive and the, the response rates are abysmal. I mean, I saw, uh, Pew research two years ago that was, was saying that, um, a lot of polls were at like a 6% response rate. I mean, that's, that's awful. That's terrible. Right. Yep. And then maybe you'll know this. I don't know the answer to this question. I feel like in 2016, the Trump internal poll was dead on, whereas the Democratic internal poll was off. The example would be Hillary Clinton didn't go to Wisconsin, for example. However, in this campaign, I think that the internal pollsters for the campaigns were right on. I remember questioning, why is, why is Joe Biden going to Georgia? Well, now you're watching the news and you're like, well, now I know why isn't he was in Georgia a couple of days before the election, right? I mean, Georgia's down to the wire and it looks like he might pull it out. Um, so they were in the right states the last few days, both campaigns. The internal polls there, are they different? Do you, what, do you have any, any um, experience understanding that? I, I don't because we – you know, we're the independent pollsters. We're, we're the, we're the outsiders. Um, the only time that, that we really do candidates is, you know, on a local level, like mayoral, um, we do some congressional, but we usually get the candidates who haven't been, um, let's say claimed by either party, because once they do, the party already has their, their pollsters and, you know, we're independent. We, we're not a, a democratic pollster or an independent. Right. So I, I've never been in that situation where, where we've done that kind of internal work. But I mean, you, you would think that just going by logic that they would be more accurate because in that scenario, it's truly about strategizing and winning, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I, I'm afraid that in, in other realms, like with some of the major networks, it's maybe it's the result of being in an echo chamber where, Absolutely. you know, me. Maybe they live in Manhattan and all their friends, yes. uh, are, you know, are are in the tri-state area. And then that's all they talk about is, you know, that what's within that echo chamber. And then they think after hearing this day after day, hey, how could anybody not think like this? Right. So, yeah. And if you want to, the states are a bit so weird. There were pollsters that nailed Georgia. There were some that even had Biden winning Georgia, which is that's pretty impressive that they had that. Uh, but then, you know, Ohio and Florida, they some many most posters had it as toss ups or even Texas as a toss up. And so I think that there are so many details within each state that, you know, like the Cuban American vote in Florida. Um, Producer Brian and I were talking about this morning is his own little voting block almost and very different than other Hispanics and the the suburban women, which was a key constituent this time. I think that it's, it's just so hard to measure this at the state level, especially. To add on to that, yeah, um, a question would be, do, would there could we see a more cross ticket 
voting this time instead of voting just a straight Democratic or a straight Republican ticket? Were we seeing more cross-ticket voting? Because I know some exit polls here in my area, we're seeing a lot of that. Like people were voting maybe Biden and Steve Shabbat here in southwestern Ohio. So you had that crossover. That's fascinating. I, 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 I would hope that we see that. Yeah. I think I think that would be good for our culture because if 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 we don't start doing that, um, we're we're right now we're in a situation where it, we're we're becoming politically a tribal society, tribalistic. Yes. And 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 what I mean by that, and and you know, I, I've always kind of known what it meant to be tribal until um, uh, recently, I, I went to the Balkans, and and then I really understood what tribalism is. Tribalism basically is is a society that's based on bloodline and kinship, and anybody outside of your bloodline and kinship, you can't understand them, you can't empathize with them, you don't know why they do what they do, they're wrong, and and quite frankly, the way they do it is stupid. And yeah. what I just described right there is our political environment. Democrats can't understand why vote, Republicans vote for Trump. Re- Republicans can't understand why Democrats vote for Biden. That's political tribalism. And we don't want to go down that path any further because because that that's that's when you start getting that's when you start looking like the Balkans. Um, so so Brian Peterson, to, to your point, I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I certainly hope it does, because um, what? W- what's the sense of having a lifelong allegiance to a party? I mean, it's not like religion, you know, it's like, I can understand that with being Catholic or Muslim, uh, being dedicated to your religion for an entire lifetime, but why, why a party? Right. Yes. And I I think it's happening in Georgia from what I've read the early reports that especially in, in Georgia, a lot of suburban women did not vote for Trump, did vote for a Republican down ballot, and you see that I think in the Senate, there's two senators up for election in Georgia, which will will both likely go to a runoff. Which we're going to add more chaos to this process here pretty soon, as if we didn't have enough. But I think that's very common with the suburban women that were just turned off by Donald Trump's rhetoric. Right? They might be lifelong Republicans, and I agree completely agree with you, Jeremy, that um, people that aren't loyal to a party. And um, I hope that occurs more often that you can split your ticket to the candidate. We were seeing in Michigan also, uh, John James, um, it looks like Biden is going to win Michigan, but John James, I think he might lose, but it's very close. He ran a great campaign in Michigan as a senator candidate. We, I think there are certain cases where the, the ticket is split, and I think that's a good thing overall for society, and at least um, it's promising maybe. <laughs> it's hard yeah. to I mean, our poll showed, right, uh, uh, to, to kind of tie this to, together with what you're saying, we, we had on November 1st, um, 4% for Joe Jorgensen, yep. right? And so that actually gave me hope that that this notion of only voting Democrat and Republican and, and doing it for a lifetime might be broken. But, but I knew when I wrote the intelligence here on Monday, uh, November 2nd, that I said, even though our poll is saying 4% are going to vote for Joe Jorgensen, when they actually cast that vote in the booth, I, I, I knew that, that that wasn't going to be the case. And, and the exit polls um, show that Jorgensen only got one. 
which to go back to our poll where we had Biden ahead by six, a lot of that had to do with the fact that 4% were telling us Joe Jorgensen uh, that they were going to vote for, for, for Joe Jorgensen. So actually, and uh, our, our poll, that was the other reason why, despite a six-point lead from Biden, I knew that it was much more tight because when it came down to casting that vote, I knew they weren't, uh, most people weren't going to go uh, third party who, who told us that they would uh, just a couple days prior. Yeah, I think there's certainly, I heard this in the Trump election, and I think this is a lot of the, not, sorry, the 2016 election where Trump won. I heard that a lot of the undecided voters, once they got into the ballot box, uh, undecided in the ballot box, two-thirds went towards Trump. That something, once you're in there voting, when it comes down to it, you may think you're voting independent, you're undecided, you don't like either candidate, but something happened in 2016 that when it came down to it, they went to Trump. And I think that was part of the Democratic strategy was you're more likely to vote Democratic if you're voting from home via mail, you vote early. I don't know why that is. People are probably studying that now as we speak, but something about that. And it's just, I find that interesting. Yeah, you're right. One, I mean, the third party candidate was very low this election, total is less than two percent yeah yeah i i you know and and i wrote about that in the 11th issue of the intelligence year that i mean this to me it wasn't about trump versus biden it wasn't the characters or the individuals or the candidates it was what they represented and what they represented was which direction are they going to take take us uh, this, yeah. this country and the title was the reset or the anchor and the reset, which is the notion of the great reset, which is which is the theme that's going to be at the World Economic Forum come January 2021, is a radically new, different world. And and I thought that Biden encapsulated that that you know his presidency is going to be about um, uh, it could be the Green New Deal, it could be Medicare for all, it could be uh, even though. It, universal basic income was more Andrew Yang's thing. That's very popular among the progressives. And of course, the Democrats have a huge progressive base, which Kamala Harris represents the VP. So, I mean, Biden, even though he's moderate, he has he has to he has to appease his uh, progressive uh, base who are highly motivated and highly mobilized. So that was a new direction for, for this country to go down some of those, those new policies that are being talked about. And so it was either a great reset of the system or holding on to the anchor of, of a familiar life, the present and the past, which Donald Trump represents. And so when going into that booth, even though you're telling pollsters two days before that you're independent or that you're third party, it all comes down to before you cast that vote, are you going for the reset or are you going for the anchor? And Howie Hawkins and, and Joe Jorgensen just aren't going to deliver that because everyone knows that they weren't really going to get much of anything. So, Yeah, agree. It's, it's got to be the worst showing from the Green Party and Libertarian candidate in many election cycles. I'm not, yeah. Um, well, any final thoughts? Who do, how do you think this is going to play out, Jeremy? What like is this? You, you kind of mentioned that you think it will go on for weeks. I think it will go on for weeks. Um, I think that Trump will probably have lawsuits in multiple states. This is going to drag out, and it's going to be very ugly. Um, unfortunately for America, what what are your thoughts? 
Well, I've said it for a while, um, and neither side is going to concede. And in that regard, it almost doesn't really matter who wins, because in either situation, the other side isn't going to concede. Um, 2016 was was a glimpse of that, where even though, you know, Trump won, the Democrats, you know, were were um, up in, in, not literally up in arms, but I mean, yep. right. It was it was ugly. There was protesting from from day one. There was refusal from day one. That happened for four years. And and um, you know what is it? Newton's third law of physics: every uh, action has an equal and opposite reaction. So if that was like that for for four years, imagine what the next four years is going to be like. If Biden wins, why would the Republicans concede? They're going to say, hey, they never even gave us a chance. If Trump wins, um, which you saw from 2016 to present is going to multiply. So it's it's going to be ugly. And it's it's uh, that's just the reality of it. Yeah. Jeremy, I have one last thing. Are we going to see something new like a hanging Chad from 2000? Uh, like a, a Chaz? So what was that? A hanging Chad. In 2000, we stared at Florida counting ballots and looking at Chad. Ah, and I'm sorry. There's probably a. Is there something going to happen? Is it the um, what was the the Sharpie? And was it Arizona? There was a you know rumors of a Sharpie scandal, which turns out to be false. And you know, is there something going to happen that's weird, like the hanging Chad from 2000? I, I see. I, I first I thought you said Chaz, and when I hear Chaz, I I think of Portland. Yes, me too. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I really don't. Uh, you know, maybe multiple. Maybe you know. Right. Maybe multiple counties. Right. Not just. Uh, not just you know a repeat of one like what we saw with Miami Dade or or Broward back in uh, two thousand. Yeah. Well. Jeremy, thank you for coming on. We're two days after Election Day, and it is chaos out there, and things aren't settled. And I really appreciate you coming on and talking about it, especially just Monday. We know you had no sleep. I doubt you had much sleep Tuesday night either with the election going on, and you're hard at work putting other stuff out. And I really appreciate your time joining us today. Thank you so much. Of course. Always great to be back. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. Take care. Awesome. Thanks for Thanks to Jeremy on no sleep in the middle of an election week when he prepared for a webinar between like 2 a.m. and 8 a.m. Um, and on top of the election, which I know that he and his family were really interested in the results and, you know, discussing that. I can envision dinner being an interesting conversation at their household, but we really appreciate him coming on again for the third time. And plus we, we did a webinar together and we've done a lot with um, him on intelligence here. So um, good to have him on. Yeah, it was a great interview. It gave some good insight, and like I like how he talked about while he had their numbers, which I think was a six-point win for Biden with a 3.2 margin of error. He even said, like, hey, I saw these numbers, and I knew it's going to be closer than that. Yeah, yeah and, it's, and right now he's right on the verge of the margin of error. As we are recording this, which is Friday morning, it's like 2.7%. Biden's ahead, which is right on the verge on the ex- external uh, margin of their margin of error. So, um, yeah, it's, it's tough regardless. But, hey, thanks for listening. Reach out to us if you have any questions or feedback. You want to be a guest, um, 513-401-5463. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.